listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman, and we're joined here today with my partner in crime and Crestworth Capital, Andrew Bruff. We also have a really exciting guest on today. He's the owner and CEO of AIM Capital. Christopher Huffman, welcome to the show. Thank you both for having me. Excited to dig into some fun stuff today. So can you give our listeners a little background on you? What got you into what you're doing and how you ended up on our real estate investing show? Absolutely. So a little bit about me. Our team's based here out of Salt Lake City, Utah. You know, I always like to mention this. I'm a dad of three little girls. I rode the crazy three under three train. <laughs> so it's definitely never a dull moment at home. My wife is a saint for being able to manage all of that and my craziness. So I got into real estate about five to six years ago. I was going to college and I took one of my professors out to a breakfast and uh, he taught me on the back of a napkin what a cap rate was and how to measure the return on an investment. I knew nothing about real estate. I didn't have any friends, family that had truly kind of dug into the area that I was in. And now five, six years later, I'm still extremely close with that individual. Consider him an incredible mentor and he's taught me a lot of the stuff I know today, amongst other things, so. Awesome. Was it a finance professor? Just curious. (laughs) He was technically a real estate professor. You know, one of the pieces of advice that I got when I was in college was, go find the professors that are actually practitioners. They're actually doing what they're teaching about. Not that it's bad if they haven't, but typically the real world experience is the stuff I was always the most interested in. So I took a number of professors out. It probably drove them crazy, but you know, a couple times a week, I'd try to have uh, a few different people. Even if I wasn't in their class, I'd like look up online, try to find somebody who was in their class and reference that person saying, Hey, you were teaching about this and I wanted to get to know you better. So At the time we went out, I wasn't in his class. (laughs) And uh, after we got close, he started teaching a new real estate specific class. And I literally went to his class and sat just right in the front just for fun. And I wasn't even enrolled. Wow. I feel like you and I probably had a very different college experience. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say that uh, the first little bit in college definitely was not a... uh, very productive accelerator into my career, but that's fun. So it's, it sounds like you started with commercial right off the bat, you know, with the idea of cap rate. So what was your kind of first dive once you got past the educational piece? For sure. So that mentor, I bring him up several times because he was a, a large reason why I actually got started. I didn't start in commercial. I never even knew what multifamily was. He worked for a extremely large multifamily developer, had about 30,000 doors, and he was his CTO. He was in charge of all the data and all of the numbers in that company. And he worked for him for 12, 13 years, quit, started his own stuff in real estate. So a lot of the stuff he was teaching me in the beginning about investments and returns, none of it penciled, none of it made sense until I circled all the way back around. So he introduced me to another student who was also interested in real estate and we started our first company together. We started a luxury Airbnb company. So before Airbnb got, you know, huge, 
We would uh, find luxury rentals that could sleep anywhere from 15 to 40 people. And there's a bunch of stories alongside that, but we found out how to finance them, even though a lot of people told us it's a bad idea or you can't because of our age. I think I was only 20 or 21 at the time. And it's like a hotel. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, we, we got into that and that was kind of my first venture from there. We started a development company and while I was doing a couple of residential and small multifamilies, some mixed use developments, again, found a great partner. We were trying to figure it out. During all of that, I got to touch a variety of fix and flips. We looked at storage. We looked at, you know, rentals, buy and holds, like all these different asset classes. And I still hadn't even touched multifamily yet. So it took me a number of years to realize that just because you say you're in real estate, you need to niche. You can't be good at, you shouldn't be good at everything. If somebody tells me, hey, you know, I love, I do everything in real estate. You can give me a fix and flip. You can give me a rental. You can give me storage. I do hotels. I do that. I immediately click in my mind, okay, they're probably okay at most of those things, but they're not great at any of them. So I found my strength and through a variety of different, you know, kind of means I found multifamily and that's been about the last year and a half to two years. It's all I do now. Just larger multifamily real estate. Awesome. What class multifamily real estate do you focus on? So we focus specifically in class B and C. Our niche, we don't market for anything under 100 units. Typically, it's one to 300 units. I have a lot of individuals, you know, that I've worked with who have been able to find incredible leads for us. We closed a 50 unit earlier this year and We've looked at some stuff in the 20s, some stuff in the 60s. So we don't actively market for stuff under 100, but when it's a good deal on a good spot and we can leverage our bandwidth appropriately, we would do something smaller. Why multifamily? It aligns with my strengths, which I'm extremely analytical. I love numbers and my weakness is design. I can't sell a wife on a countertop which is why I don't do residential, but I can sell an investor on a return. Right. Excellent. I feel you very, very much on the design. And I've never flipped a house because I've never sold one, but I've burned a lot of them. And if you look at like the first several, they're hideous. I mean, they're like, they appraise for what I wanted them to appraise for because they checked the box. Like they were technically like updated, but you go through like one of them is the outside is, canary yellow i thought it was going to be like a like a tan you know it came out yellow and then the inside is just a mass and just nasty my wife looked at it she goes you're not allowed to do this anymore like from now on you let me pick out the colors you know whenever it's anything to do with design i say yep gray is whites do some stainless steel chuck in some countertops but a lot of that you know you need someone who knows what they're talking about otherwise you're going to spend twenty five thousand on a unit for $650 in rent. So recently, I've had a lot of conversations with people about utilizing your strengths and stay in your lane. Like, okay, the big bucket's real estate. Great. My medium bucket is multifamily. Awesome. Bucket below that is large multifamily specific to mid to heavy value add. And then bucketing down below that is I focus on strategic underwriting and bringing capital. 
Like niche all the way down. It doesn't mean you won't do other stuff, but the more you focus, the more you can actually have that growth. Absolutely. So how are you finding these deals? You mentioned, you know, we market to a hundred plus units. What do you do to market them? Are you looking for off market deals? Are you leveraging broker relationships? Mm -hmm. So a little bit of both. It depends what niche that you're looking into because looking for hundred plus units versus under hundred units is very, very different. If anybody can crack the direct mail to large multifamily owners, let me know. (laughs) That seems to be the genie bottle there. A lot of stuff that works for single family does not translate over into multi. So I would say that about a third of our leads are going to come from broker leads. Probably more leads, probably almost half of our total lead volume comes from broker leads. I'd say a fourth to a third of them though are actual leads that we're going to look at. Because a lot of times, you know, you can just get spammed by every broker in the world. They'll send you anything on the market, just chucking spaghetti against the wall and hoping it sticks. The broker relationships that we actually focus on, and I have really good relationships with them personally, you know, asking them, what are your goals? What do you guys want to achieve? Are you trying to get more transactions this year? Are you trying to get into your first investment? Are you trying to retire and get passive income? Broker could be one of your uh, passive investors, Mm -hmm. you know, just speaking out loud. But as far as finding leads, broker leads, social media is huge. And Facebook groups, both private and public, people post leads all the time that they just, hey, I got a lead, don't really know what to do with it. I don't know how to do these other six things like raising capital or proper due diligence. But I think I've got a decent deal and the numbers kind of pencil. Who wants to help me? We've gotten a lot of uh, leads from newer investors who just don't quite have all the pieces yet or enough track record to do it on their own. Then one of the other large things is marketing funnels and thought leadership platforms. So taking this podcast, for instance, you know, we can repurpose this podcast into one of our marketing funnels and we use a variety of different lead magnets and marketing strategies to get off market properties. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? Of course. Are either of you familiar with rapid fire testing? Maybe it's an in-house term that might not make a ton of sense. (laughs) So when we're marketing to specific demographics of, of people, whenever you're marketing, the very first thing you need is a product or an offer, something you're trying to sell. So for us, we have three specific people that we focus on. We have real estate professionals, Okay, so that could be fellow syndicators, newer investors, that could be um, appraisers, lenders, anywhere in that scope. They're either going to provide a resource that we can utilize for a deal, that we can pay them for a service, they're going to generate us a lead, or it's going to be somebody that we can co-partner with who's going to help bring a piece. You know, maybe we're trying to go take down a $40 million deal. It could be somebody that we're co-partnering to. So number one is real estate professionals. Number two is we're looking for passive investors, accredited investors, depending on the demographics, this could be tech professionals, this could be doctors, this could be people geographically focused around maybe a university or some kind of an income producing geographic. Lastly is active learners, people who just want to learn more, which would very much line up with like where this podcast could help direct. So we have three groups of people we market to. Let's take passive investors, for example. So whenever you're marketing to one of your target audiences, 
which every business should have two or three, you need to have lead magnets. So if you're a workout coach, you're going to have one of your lead magnets is a 30 day free trial, just a small piece of a bigger pie that you're trying to sell. Mm-hmm. So for a passive investor, this could be, you know, we have a uh, 20 question PDF that anybody can download for free for questions you need to ask a sponsor before you invest with them. So we can use that lead magnet and then we do what's called rapid fire testing, which is where we'll take that lead and we'll actually throw up like 90 ads all at the same time, except those ads are targeting specific demographics of people. So you're going to have that same offer, but you're going to have it three different sets of copy. And with each of those three different sets, you're going to have 10 different demographics for each set. So you're going to market from 20 to 35, 35 to 50 men, women, geographic locations. So long story short, you take your lead magnet, market it to all these different demographics, and you can actually find, okay, that specific market. It was women between the ages of 35 and 45 in these states with these income brackets and these, you know, or just as an example. Is that through social media? We specialize specifically through Facebook. Okay. Facebook's huge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It is a Goliath. The data that Facebook collects is probably more than any other social media site in the world. We want to use that. They already paid for it, so we don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) But essentially, with the marketing funnels, just decide what makes you different. Decide what makes you different, craft a small offer around it, and then we do split testing out to see which demographics are going to react the best to that offer. We can refine the offer once we know who that demographic is, and then we just pump marketing dollars into that hyper-niched demographic, and it produces well-qualified leads. Awesome. Do you use that for finding properties too, or is it passive investors? Yep. So all three of those target markets, all three of those have lead magnets. All three of those have different kinds of split tests. So that can be for marketing out to brokers, even if you wanted to. You mentioned active learners. Why are you marketing so intensely to active learners? Which bucket do do those fall within? So... Look back to the reason why people invest with you in the first place. People Mm -hmm. invest with you because they trust you and they feel like they know you, they like you, they trust you. What better way to have people really get to know you than by having a whole section of your company focused on just providing value to your tribe or to your followers. So that that active learner population, you know, we're working on a variety of different products like how to properly onboard a VA into your real estate company. We've got a super cheap, super easy, um, you know, even a, a portion of it is free where you could buy it and you can learn step by step how to not only find the right VA, which we give you a variety of ways to find it, but also how to use them, track their tasks, make them efficient, set goals, scale your company. You know, like that would be a product. So we can have deal analyzers and other things. And so that active learner population are the individuals in the demographics who are actually going to be utilizing that content, whether it's free or paid for. 
So what do you find that the VAs are able to do for you? Well, I have a PDF. I can, you know, maybe I can release it with this podcast. It's 101 things a VA can do for you. Okay. That would be it's awesome. It's one of our we're going to use to market I'm, through Facebook. <laughs> so going back to the earlier, before I got into multifamily, mm-hmm. I was making good money doing, you know, flips and development projects in other areas, but I had created a really well-paying job, mm. not a business. So the difference between shifting from a job, which everybody today is a business owner and a CEO, by the way, (laughs) and you know, the difference between actually owning a business is you have systems and processes. You can remove yourself, which is where those VAs are so helpful. They can not only create those systems for you, but it forces you to create those systems so that they can do anything, whether it's your email campaigns, whether it's our monthly investor communication emails, they can scrape lists for us and cold call sellers. They can help follow up with some of our like drip campaigns through emailing. Graphic design is huge. Social media content. A lot of times when I post content, I don't physically post it. I help create it. That's a VA who's going to actually schedule it and make sure it gets on social media. That's, right. Those are a few things that we utilize now. Awesome. We could be a lot better, but. So, so back it up, um, you know, you, you mentioned when you first. <laughs> everybody, everybody who's only listening to the audio version of this is not going to get why we're all laughing. You'll have to, you'll have to check out the YouTube version. <laughs> back it up to. Uh, we needed more subscribers on our YouTube channel anyway, so that's a good opportunity to plug it. <laughs> Back it up to where you were fresh out of college, dabbling in all these different general areas of real estate. You did flips and you touched commercial and you were here and you're there. And then you decided to niche down into multifamily. And you say multifamily, but obviously you're talking about multifamily syndication with 100 plus units. So how are you able to make that transition? Because there's, there's obviously quite a difference between, you know, saving up some money or having one partner that you go in with to flip a house or to, to buy a rental versus, you know, raising $4 million to buy a 100-unit apartment complex. So can you help us bridge that gap for us a little bit? Absolutely. Maybe I can go back to one of our first projects. So just for clarification, for those of you that say you can't do it, I was 20 or 21 years old. My first project, I raised between three and three and a half million dollars. I had 3,500 bucks to my name. I closed. That was one of our development deals. Trying to get people some tangible stuff. Getting creative is super important. I'm going to preface this with, this is my own experience. Go talk to your own attorney and please don't get me in trouble. Those of you who are listening, we used something called a convertible note. It was a way to, so, you know, you have first position debt, which is going to be a hard money lender or a mortgage or, you know, your, your main senior debt. But then with all those deals, the hard money lender wants some money down or with these development deals, the bank needs a massive down payment. I don't have money for that. So we had to be creative. We used a convertible note, which is a way to collateralize your second position debt. 
Second position dead is not a place people like to be because they can be technically taken out by the first. It's connected to a promissory note. So we'd say, you know, we're going to give you 15% interest or if you don't get your 15% interest, it can be converted into X percent of or ownership. So if we don't deliver on what we say, you as the experienced investor have the ability to come and take over the majority ownership of our project. So we do a good job. We can get paid and you get the returns you're expecting. We don't do a good job or we mess up. You're getting all of our collateral. So you're able to collateralize a little bit more project-based. It was something we used in the beginning that really helped. I think I went through 36 lenders for our first deal and 35 of them said no. Because they wouldn't allow that kind of a structure? Well, that and they looked at me and said, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then going into multifamily, I do not, don't take other people's money if you're not full-time. And find a hyper-niched value within the multifamily space that you can provide value to a more experienced investor. So don't go do your first deal all by yourself and try to do everything. Find one area you can specialize in and provide value and then approach somebody who is, you know, go talk to five or 10 syndicators and find out which one has a bottleneck that aligns with your value and your strengths. Hopefully that makes sense. Definitely. So what advice do you have for somebody else who's just going out to get started? So it's really important that you actually know what you're doing in this space or you can get, you can get yourself into trouble, especially when you're dealing with syndications. I don't recommend syndications if you're new, unless you're doing it with somebody who's done a syndication. There are too many laws that you can accidentally just, oops, I forgot. You've got to track your investors, conversations, lunches. Like there's a lot of stuff if you get audited essentially by the SEC. So one of the things I did was take any practitioner or syndicator or professor if you're in school, go look on LinkedIn, use the keyword search to go find people who are doing what you want to do and take them out to lunch. You pay for it. (laughs) You're going to get way more value than what the lunch is worth. And when I had those conversations, try to get deep. Don't just get surface, surface level information. Like try to dig into one specific area that that person's good at. Any terms you don't understand, I would say, excuse me, I need to go to the restroom really quick. I'd stand up. I'd go on the down. And I'd write <laughs> all down on my phone. Go home and hit YouTube. <laughs> yep. And then that night, I'd go to YouTube, Investopedia, Bigger Pockets, while I was feeding one of my newborns at like one o'clock in the morning. And I'd listen to a podcast on that. And then the very next day, send a follow up email, a text saying, Hey, I really appreciate you talking to me what a, uh, about what a loan constant was. Or, you know, I was looking up some more information last night and I thought it was interesting, you know, about this, this, and this. Any other thoughts on that? Like try to dig down deeper with them and they'll respect the fact that you took what they said to heart. Excellent advice. So now I just wanted to hop into our radio round, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. First question is, what's your favorite book? If you have not read the book Traction by Gino Wickman, Mm -hmm. you will not have traction in your business. (laughs) That is one of the single-handed books that changed my entire 
everything for me. One of the ones I'm listening to right now, it's super short. It's by Michael Hyatt. It's called World Class Assistant. Kind of checked out two of them, but if you don't have an assistant and you want to own a business, that's the first gap you need to bridge. What's your favorite quote? Favorite quote is from my grandfather. He hammered this in me when I was younger. With integrity, nothing else matters. Without integrity, nothing else matters. Originally by Winston Churchill. Awesome. So how can our listeners find out more about you? How can they learn more about your business? Yep. We're pretty active on Facebook and LinkedIn. Soon to be Instagram and YouTube eventually. We're, uh, again, focusing on our strengths. So you can connect with me through Facebook, through LinkedIn, or go to aimcapitalco.com. And I think I've got a calendar link somewhere on that site that you can actually book a call. And any of the listeners, I'm more than happy to, if you want to dig into bigger detail on one of the things we talked about today, I'd be more than happy. Just mention in the notes that you got connected through this podcast. Awesome. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. It was great meeting you today. I'm so glad that, that Andrew set this up and so that we were able to meet and that you were able to share with, with our listener base. So really appreciate it. We'll definitely be in touch and be keeping track of you on Facebook. Sounds great. Thanks, awesome. you guys. Thanks, Christopher. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.